Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Who is the man on the cross? What kind of person is he? What role does he fulfill? On Good Friday, we can speak in the abstract, the theological, or the personal. Let me speak in the first two ways now so I can be sure I've covered all my bases. Abstractly, what is going on is the cosmic battle between God and the devil, good and evil. It's reaching now its climax. Each force has thrown its best haymaker. God becomes flesh, and the devil first tries to tempt him in the wilderness and now hopes that his death will accomplish what the devil wants, but wouldn't you know, God is working behind the scenes the whole time. Even the devil's best shots are known and defeated. By God, it really isn't much of a battle at all. It was always the case that this cosmic battle would be won by the death of Jesus and then his resurrection and ascension. God demonstrates for all the world to see, including the devil, that the very worst that the devil can throw at us, death itself, is no match for God. Through death, even, God declares victory. Death is never the last word, and the curse of sin has lost its sting. Now, theologically, Jesus' death takes place in a very particular context, among and by the hands of the Hebrew people, who claim to have the only true revelation of the only true God, among and at the hands of the Romans, who represent the entire Gentile world, meaning that everyone in the future who would ever hear the gospel is symbolically present at the death of Jesus. During the week of the Passover, the Hebrew celebration that remembers freedom from oppression and slavery. In Jerusalem, the city that houses the temple, the location of an entire sacrificial system instituted by God to remind people of their sin and offer them a way towards being clean. If you put all of that together, you see then that Jesus' death fulfills the old covenant sacrificial law by being a propitiation or satisfying God's demands for our sin and for the sin of the whole world. From this one group of people with this singular revelation from heaven, one man satisfies the wrath of God and intercedes on our behalf. Through faith in this peculiar death and resurrection, we are grafted onto the tree of Abraham, and we are rightly called children of God and inheritors of the kingdom of God. Abstractly and theologically, that is what is taking place at the cross. But who really is the man on the cross? Let us do ourselves a favor 
and remind ourselves, lest we think of Jesus as a mere figure, a technical substitute, a prophetic fulfillment, of which he is all of those things. But he is not just the holder of a title or the doer of a cold sacrifice. He did not just satisfy God's wrath or offer a penal substitution. He has revealed the fullness of God's will and character and love and purpose for you. Who is the man on the cross? Well, consider that he restored the sight of a man born blind, that he helped a woman who had been crippled for 18 years walk upright again. He healed lepers and a woman who had hemorrhaged blood for 12 years, thereby restoring them to their community by declaring them to be clean. He raised a widow's only son from the dead. He raised the brother of Mary and Martha, Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, from the dead. He exalted a sinner who had washed his feet over and above a wealthy but smug Pharisee. He turned water into wine, and with five loaves he fed 5,000 people, feeding and encouraging joy among his followers. He cast out demons that had destroyed lives through possession. He taught about God's kingdom in a way that made room for all who were poor, grieving, mourning, and humble in spirit. He sought the lost and gave no quarter to those who were self-righteous. He raised several children from the dead and even indicated that true faith was like the faith of children. He could have acted as an an immediate judge against all the wickedness and evil that surrounded him, but he patiently taught repentance instead, allowing the woman at the well and those caught in adultery and those who had rejected him yet more opportunity. He told parables about the lost who could be found, about a God who shows mercy, and about a beggar who ends up in paradise. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus did not relax his actual judgment against actual evil. As stated when we spoke about Jesus in theological terms, his incarnation and death on the cross was precisely a judgment against evil. And his mercy in favor of the oppressed, was always at the hands of someone else's evil. So his message was and is inclusive of both judgment and mercy. And yet what Jesus reveals throughout his ministry is that the man on the cross is not only satisfying the wrath of God, he is positively showing his love for the world in the same way that he did throughout his life. He stands condemned as a man about whom no one can say an evil word, who is above reproach in every way, and who is obedient to God at all times, 
and desired his fellow man to turn to God that they might live. Yes, what is going on at the cross is not merely a mathematically satisfying exchange of the sum total of our sins for the sum total of God's goodness. No, it's much more personal than that. You can know what Jesus is doing on the cross by hearing about everything else that he did during his life. He lived for others. And that means that he lived also for you. So who is the man on the cross? He is the man who revealed the totality of God's character to you. As an innocent human being, he completed the same work of love that you see everywhere else in the Gospels. He is the one man who can die for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be free to have the kind of joy and peace and hope he wanted for you. Observe the man on the cross. He is the one man who perfectly, completely, and totally lived and died for you. That is who that man is. Amen.